So, Mark. Yeah? In the climax of this week's movie, our lead character is asked to give an extemporaneous speech explaining how the Industrial Revolution affected or was reflected in the evolution of the novel. So I was wondering, if you were faced with this particular challenge, what novel would you be inspired to talk about? I recently read a book called A Memory Called Empire, in which the space Byzantine Empire... (laughs) I have heard of this book, but I don't know a ton about it. It's really good. It's a space opera about diplomacy instead of war, which is very fun. But in it, somehow the space age empire has kind of regressed to a pre-industrial revolution culture while having space age technology. Would you say it's kind of a a form of space feudalism after the Butlerian Jihad? It is not. It is much more in line with the uh, Imperial Raj trilogy, which I am sure you at least are aware of. And it really comments on how history is not a straight line. It is not inevitable progress. And modernity doesn't exist as a determined outcome of human development and how we can backslide into autocracy and also blood sacrifice even if this isn't actually i think they do reference earth i think humans did start on earth and grew into a space byzantine empire you may be surprised to learn that the author of this fiction book when writing under her real name is a scholar of the byzantine empire what (laughs) I do think it's interesting the ways that different, like, science fiction writers solve the problem of, like, okay, once you have people living on multiple planets, how do you have a meaningful governmental structure between them when it takes so long to travel between them? And, like, you could just, like, do the Star Wars thing of being, like, light speed takes as long as we need it to at any given time. Or you wind up with something like space feudalism or something where you say, these are all gonna kind of run themselves and occasionally we'll deal with bigger issues. I mean, I think that's honestly the only possible outcome. One thing right. I really enjoyed about the Imperial Raj trilogy is they comment on how big space is and often will be like, a ship from the rival faction arrived in our sector. We have about a month until they get close <laughs> enough to interact with them. So the series pace is kind of slow and a lot happens at the same time because on the planet, time is passing But on the ship, it's like, we're just cruising through space for a month at light speed before we can approach the other ship. Which also makes politics and war so weird, because by the time you get somewhere, there's a decent chance that, like, the people you are feuding with are dead. Right. They do suspension pods and stuff to justify how the time frame. Also, the emperor of this space empire runs it by having... I think, thousands of different bodies that she exists in simultaneously. Ooh. Which is another great way of solving a space empire because every sector basically has one of the bodies, if not hundreds of them, that are all considered the same leader and they all have the same brain. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, so they all are connected to a central hive mind, but... They exist, like, she exists everywhere at the same time, which is honestly the best justification for a space empire, and she uses these clones to then live for 3,000 years. That is excellent. Now, at any point, did one of the clones go rogue and have a scavenger baby 
um, who was part of a dyad in the Force? Uh, no, but it is actually <laughs> kind of a spoiler alert. The later parts of the trilogy end up being about a civil war between two factions of the Emperor after her personality splits. That's fantastic. Great series. Would recommend. Awesome. But Will, good to know. back to the Industrial Revolution. What is your favorite commentary on the radical shift in economic production in the 1800s in the novel form? I mean, the obvious answer is The Time Machine. A book I have not read, but kind of know about. It's cool. It's also quite short. That is the great virtue of H.G. Wells. If a book is cracking 150 pages for him, it's like a tome. I checked my reading stats for the year, and it was like, they have a pie chart of length, and it's currently zero under 300 pages, and most are 500 plus, so I don't remember what it's like to read a book that short. Uh, Yeah, so obviously Wells is writing during the tail end of what we think of as the Industrial Revolution, the late 1800s, early 1900s, and one of the first places that the unnamed time traveler visits is some point in the future where for a while he spends time living in like basically like living in a sunny grassy painting full of like very kind docile people called the Eloi and they just like live a happy life and like food appears for them and it's wonderful and they have no conflict and they have nothing to worry about and then every once in a while the time traveler starts to notice like some creepy stuff around the margins and then eventually discovers that underneath the surface of like this grassy paradise are the morlocks and the morlocks are like humanity basically has split into two species the eli and the morlocks and the morlocks live underground and are the ones who are making everything happen they make the food they make sure the society has everything it needs they are the industrial workers who are invisible and enabling the aristocracy to live a happy life but the twist is that by this point in the future the morlocks will periodically sneak out and literally eat the rich I love it. <laughs> Don't the Eloi, like, hunt the Morlocks, too? Or is that something else? I think that's something else. The okay. Eloi are pretty docile. I mean, that kind of has Metropolis vibes, too. Sure. I sometimes, I live in a basement, and I periodically refer to my upstairs neighbors as the Eloi. They do live in a probably nicer apartment if they are upstairs, but at least you don't have to cook for them or produce anything for them. That is true. My other, like, favorite sort of industrial commentary in a more modern sense is Cloud Atlas, uh, the novel, as well as the movie. But there's particularly a segment, which is the Orison of Sanmi 451, that's all about, again, this very time machine idea of humans being thought of as disposable, effectively as consumables. And that kind of echoes across the different stories in Cloud Atlas in different ways. That one is the most explicit. And that one in particular gets into the issue of, like, basically, like, people are cloned to be eaten. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I, that's even worse than cloned for organs. Yes, I would say so. The whole idea of making a genetic clone to harvest their organs is awful, but I get it. But just cloning them for food feels like a lot. Because if you have yes. the technology to clone and you have a scarcity issue... Couldn't you clone the cows or the chickens? One would think. And in this, they literally, I mean, these are spoilers for Cloud Atlas, but the clones, they live their lives in service industries, and then when they can't do their job anymore, then they are killed and eaten. I hate it. I refuse. Well, after discussing these great pieces of art, 
Shall we transition to one of the worst movies we've watched in a while? In a while, but I would not say it's close to being the uh, worst we've done for this podcast. Oh, no. It is not near the... It's definitely bottom tier, but not the basement. It is no Hot Tub Time Machine 2. It is... It is... <laughs> I fully blocked that movie from my memory. Thank you for reminding me. It is no Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. It's no Morlock, but it's also no Eloi. <laughs> Wait, which one is the good one there? I don't know. I guess, I mean, it's. I was literally thinking in terms of geographical location. Sure. Where it's not fully underground, but it is not on this top level either. Yeah, I got it. I liked it. Anyway, welcome. I just realized I was about to start talking about the movie. I should start the show. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to exploring the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot, or a one-scene flirtation, or a hostile relationship that inexplicably turns into dating, I guess. Maybe one of the movies with the worst amount of romance? We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are taking a look at the romance of the first proper like Adam Sandler starring vehicle, 1995's Billy Madison, directed by Tamara Davis. I didn't hate this movie as much as I thought I would, but I did not love it by any means. Had you seen Billy Madison before? I had not. I actually, I think I have seen parts of Billy Madison. I think I have seen parts of Mr. Deeds, and in my head had combined them into one movie. Okay. Which is, aren't they, they're basically the same plot, aren't they? I don't know Mr. Deeds. Isn't that a real movie? I think it's Adam Sandler is rich, and then he also has to do something to inherit the money. Um, it is a remake of the 1936 Frank Capra film, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, which is itself based on the 1935 short story, Opera Hat. Oh, so it's it's someone who surprisingly inherits a lot of money instead of being raised in it. Yeah, I'd say, what am I, we're gonna like talk all around this movie. One of my biggest questions watching Billy Madison is, why does Billy Madison want this job? It seems like he could continue living his, like, garbage pail life on his family's money. You would think. I genuinely can't answer that question. There's no good justification for it. No! It's not like he's being threatened to be cut off or anything, where if he doesn't go to school, It's not an Arthur situation. Yeah. He just will continue to be rich and not have to work, even if his enemy takes over. But I think it's more that he just doesn't like the other guy. Yeah. I think Arthur is actually an interesting point of comparison to this movie, because that is also about a, like, fabulously rich heir who spends all his time boozing around. But in that one, his motivation at least is clear. Right. They do both have weird voices that are distractingly divorced from how humans talk. They have that going for both of them, too. Just something to keep in mind, like, Adam Sandler in that movie is, like, our age. Ugh, I hate it. Thank you for the reminder. I just, I don't get the voice. And that's something that I've kind of had with Adam Sandler forever, because I've heard him talk in his normal voice. But when he does his weird, like, dumb person voice, it's so distracting for me. Because it would yes. still, even if he just did his normal voice, I would buy that this man is unstable, to say the least. 
Yeah, it like worked for me with some of the jokes, but watching an entire movie of that is a lot. I mean, Adam Sandler's like fundamental principle of comedy is that loud is funny. Yes. And sometimes loud is funny. And sometimes it is not. Yeah. And like, I understood that about Adam Sandler pretty early on and knew that I did not particularly care for it to the point that like, I resisted Andy Samberg for a long time because Andy Samberg is another guy who thinks loud is funny, but I came to learn in a fairly different way. And he also, he can do quiet comedy too. Right. I think he learned that as a skill later in his career, but it's not like Palm Springs is the loudest performance. No, not at all. Like, Hot Rod is a pretty loud performance. Yes. I have not watched Hot Rod all the way through, but I definitely did not hate it. No, that's a better movie than this. I want to see Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. Oh, that movie is fun. It sounds very good. So I first saw Billy Madison, as I think many people did, uh, in a friend's basement. Yes. It's very much a friend's basement movie. Yeah, my sophomore year of high school, we were over at my friend's house, and we had been playing basketball. We went downstairs to watch a movie, and that is what I saw, Billy Madison, a movie that clearly everybody else in the room had seen and loved. I really just don't, I don't get the appeal, to be honest. I don't get what people found so funny about this, even in high school. And this is coming from someone that in high school was a big Austin Powers fan. (laughs) unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, those Sandler movies, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, up through like The Waterboy and stuff like that, are very much movies that, even if we did not, our peers grew up probably with the VHS in their house. And in a pre-streaming period, you watch the same VHS tapes over and over again. And I also think that like, you know, Sandler is playing like the ultimate man-child in this. And there is something to like the juvenile humor that probably appealed to like, 14 year old boys i feel that he's taking man child to the point where he's almost doing the male version of sexy baby um yes (laughs) and it is very weird because his voice is a toddler voice i mean billy madison is just a very difficult character to wrap your head around he is an adult man presumably around sandler's age so like late 20s he is the heir to a hotel company he spends all of his days lounging around the pool, getting drunk. He apparently did not actually pass school the first time. His dad just paid off his teachers. And for some reason, it is a problem for him that he will not be put in charge of this hotel company that he has nothing to do with the running of. Like, he clearly doesn't know anything about the business. And so, like, he he basically is like a drunk baby. He's dumb. He He doesn't know anything. The penguin thing is very weird. Okay, that pe- the dude in the penguin suit is giving a great physical performance. Oh, completely. The penguin Great comedy by it. Penguin Guy. Best performance in the movie. But I didn't find it. It was just so weird. I don't understand what is funny about him driving around chasing the pen. Also, I couldn't justify in my head how this is happening either. Because this is not what alcohol does. And he is not shown doing anything else. We've had some conversations recently about good drunk acting, like uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in 500 Days of Summer. Great drunk acting. Because the thing about drunk people is that they're constantly trying to convince you that they're not drunk. And they're, like, usually trying very hard to focus on a particular thing. And Billy Madison gets drunk like a middle schooler thinks a person gets drunk. It is written like someone who has never had alcohol before. Which is strange, because it's written by two SNL alums, so I'm assuming they have had alcohol before. 
I assume Adam Sandler has been drunk before doing this film, and yet you could not tell. And the movie is written by Sandler with Tim Hurley, who was his roommate at NYU. Then they became writing partners. They both worked at SNL. Uh, Hurley eventually served as head writer. And he wrote or co-wrote most of Sandler's movies, including, you know, he wrote Happy Gilmore and The Wedding Singer and The Waterboy. But he's even involved, like, to this point. Like, he has writing credits on Pixels and Hubie Halloween. Two movies I did not need to be reminded of. You're really loving to just dig up some absolute garbage. Remember Bedtime Stories? Actually, no. That one I just... Sandler's Disney movie. I just don't know. I remember Eight Crazy Nights as a name of a movie about Hanukkah that was animated. Yes. I don't think he worked on that. Isn't he the main voice in that? Uh, Hurley. Oh, Hurley. I was just, I thought I was going absolutely crazy where you were saying Adam Sandler was not involved in Eight Crazy Nights, but the movie is also known as Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights. Yeah. So, so the movie then comes out in February of 1995. That May, or that summer, Sandler is fired off of SNL. Why was he fired? Um, I don't know the exact reason. It's the kind of thing, like, at the time, it was just like, Adam Sandler is not returning to SNL. And then, in recent years, Sandler has referred to himself as having been fired. Including when he most recently hosted SNL in his monologue, he talked about coming back to a place where he was fired. Okay. My wife and kids are here uh, tonight. And, uh... I always tell them how SNL was the greatest time of my life, and my daughter asked me if it, if it was the greatest, Dad, then why did you leave? Well, honey, there's a reason. I was fired. I was fired. I was fired, so sad to tell. Well, I never saw it coming. I got fired from SNL Between seasons I heard a nasty rumor That I was getting the sack I tried to call Lorne Michaels But he never called me back I'm joking, I'm joking, he called me, he called me <laughs> That's interesting I mean, people yeah. leave SNL all the time So it, you don't have to work to cover up a firing you basically only know someone is fired from SNL if they say they were fired. Right, which is what happened here. Yes. I mean, the other one, like, the high-profile one that's also associated with this movie is Norm MacDonald, who was fired off of SNL for, at the time, debated reasons. Yeah, he claimed it was because he was too hard on OJ during Weekend Update, and one of the NBC executives was friends with OJ. <laughs> the NBC executives said that it was because ratings were down because he wasn't funny enough. I kind of feel that both are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this movie, by the way, is Norm MacDonald's first feature appearance. He's not bad in this. No, he's not. I kind of wanted more of him. Yeah, he was the friend that actually was handling the drunk acting and, you know, walking the line of being an understandable character while being a ridiculous character, best of the three. Right. I kind of wanted to know more about, like, who this guy is. Like, how does he feel about all the stuff Billy's doing? Instead, he's just kind of there. And it sort of presages 
the later Sandler movies, the the grown-ups, the ridiculous sixes, where Sandler just kind of like gets his friends together and says, let's go on vacation. Was he in... No, never mind. That was Vince Vaughn, who are slightly interchangeable in my head, to be honest. I was thinking Which about movie? Couples Retreat. Um, Yeah, that's Vince Vaughn in Couples Retreat. The one where I want to say Vaughn is, is married to Malin Ackerman? I think so. That I have seen Couples bad. Retreat, but only once, and it wasn't literally in a basement, but it was a basement setting. Yeah, I did not care for it. So, okay, so the couples in Couples Retreat are Faison Love and Callie Hawk, whatever. The big ones are Vince Vaughn and Malin Ackerman, John Favreau and Kristen Davis, and Jason Bateman and Kristen Bell. Yes, I remember that one. <laughs> Sorry, now reading the summary of Couples Retreat. <laughs> yeah, I'm also how terrible at the it is. Wikipedia page. All right. We'll put this on the list. We'll cover it later. Oh, God, uh, no. we got to get back to Billy Mattis. So, uh, like I said, this is a bit of a transition point for Sandler, although that wouldn't have been obvious at the time. This movie would have shot in the summer of 1994 to come out in February 95. Like I said, it's written by Sandler with Tim Hurley. It's directed by Tamara Davis, who had worked for American Zoetrope, Francis Ford Coppola's short-lived studio. And then when that collapsed, she started directing music videos, in part, she said, because there was less sexism in the music video industry than in proper Hollywood, so it was easier to get jobs as a woman director. Her first feature film was Gun Crazy, which got Drew Barrymore a Golden Globe nomination as part of her like 1992 comeback we talked about our Never Been Kissed episode. And then she spent the rest of the 90s making comedy movies like Billy Madison, uh, CB4, which is a Chris Rock movie, Half-Baked. She does a lot of TV now, right? Yeah, she hasn't made a movie since 2002, but she's been pretty busy directing TV. I feel that she's someone that you bring in to do the occasional episode on your comedy show. Yeah. It is an interesting movie to have been directed by a woman. Does not yes. feel it. <laughs> now, it is easy to imagine this movie being much worse in terms of its handling of women. Yeah. Honestly, the women are handled better than... Other 90s movies and also the movie's conception of queer people. Yes. Yeah, we have two people who seem to be queer in this movie who are both treated strangely. The Steve Buscemi scene, it was like kind of funny. It is a pre-Columbine world. Yes, and I think that's a key to it. That like if you're going to do a joke about a school shooting, it's better to be in 1995 than in 2005. Yes, and it's also, I mean, he is a grown up now. And so it's a revenge plot rather than an actual school shooting. But then he put the lipstick on and I just, it was so unnecessary. Right, like I guess we're maybe meant to understand that like that was a source of him being bullied in high school. But you get the sense that the thing the audience is supposed to laugh at there is the idea of this man putting on lipstick. Right, it's just funny that a man wears lipstick rather than it just kind of being funny that he wants to kill his bullies and all it took was a simple apology to get taken off the list. Which which is funny. That's the thing, like, in both of the cases with the queer characters, the core premise of their character is much funnier than the, like, easy, crappy laugh it tries to get out of their queerness. Like, Principal Anderson, whatever, like, he sends a valentine to Billy Madison, like, will you be my valentine? I'm horny. That's not as funny as the idea that he was a professional wrestler called, like, the Human Blob or something, who accidentally murdered multiple people in the ring, and then tried to escape that life by becoming an elementary school principal. And lying about his qualifications to get the job. 
Right. That's much that funnier is... that he he has this terrible costume. He like sat on a guy until he died. It's so much funnier than him just humping Billy Madison during a hug at the end, like yeah. a dog. So I feel this is very common in the '90s, where oh yeah, they just pad a joke with unnecessary gay bashing for no reason. Yeah, it's it's treated like a layup. Right. It's just you know easy humor. Oh man, put on lipstick. That's inherently funny because women wear lipstick, not men. Besides the queer characters, like the other thing to mention is that this movie has a straight up mammy. I will say one of the key tropes of the mammy is being desexualized. And boy, do they not do that with this character. That is true. Yeah, this is Juanita, played by Teresa Merritt. Oh, it's bad. Yeah. Like, she is even, like, speaking in, like, stereotypical, like, mammy dialect. I think the movie is trying to see itself as doing a deconstruction by making her sexually harass Billy. But it does not work. No. It's the kind of thing of, like... You know, the housekeeper in It's a Wonderful Life has much more dignity than Juanita does. Yeah, poor Juanita. That was, it's it's tough to watch because it, she's just like in the full getup too. And you, you do think that they probably thought on some level the idea of having this character was itself funny in the way that like the idea of having Steve Buscemi put on lipstick is funny. Yeah. Ugh. I think that's by far the worst part of this movie is all of the Juanita stuff. And it's not long, but you could still cut that character and nothing would change. Yeah, except the movie would not have this very troublesome performance. Yeah, the movie would just be easier to watch. It would have zero people of color in it if you took her out. But honestly, that is better than even what like we are every left kid with. at school is white. Yeah, there's there are only white students. There are only white students and there are only white people in the background, I swear. Where is this set? I don't know. I assumed it was Los Angeles. I mean, maybe it's commenting on the richness, but I think that's just giving way too much credit. Yeah, it absolutely is not. Because, like, I think the O'Doyles are, like, coded as lower class. Yes, that is true. That, they just die? (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I thought he was It's this family with a ton of kids who, in each grade, like, find ways to try and bully Billy Madison. And then, finally, at the end of the movie... Like, other stuff is going on, and there's just a cut to the O'Doyle family all in a car together. The car slips on a banana peel and goes off a cliff. I could not believe it, because he says something like, you'll get your retribution soon, or something. And you figure he's going to use his money to buy them out or something. But no, they just independently hit a banana peel, drive off a cliff, while still chanting O'Doyles to their death. I have actually witnessed a human being slip on a banana peel before. I have too, and it is kind of funny. It's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. I did like a full pratfall at swim practice one time where my foot hit a patch of water and I wasn't prepared. And it fully, like my one leg kicked into the air as I fell flat on my back. And it hurt like the dickens. But even in the moment, I just was like, that was probably comedy gold to watch. It's just so funny. The leg going up into the air, like, over their head. It's just a funny image, unfortunately. Unfortunate for the person that it's happening to. Yes, for the person it's happening. And as long as they're fine after, I don't feel as bad laughing. Um, Speaking of, like, people getting hurt and that being funny, I read this before I watched the movie, and it was then very obvious. In the dodgeball scene, there are, like, really quick cuts right after kids get hit with the ball, and that's because a lot of them started crying. Oh, God. 
That is so the movie not good. cuts away really abruptly, like anytime someone gets hit by a dodgeball. This man spends a lot of unsupervised time around children. Yeah, they take the principle that like because he is a student, he is therefore entirely treated like a student. I really don't understand how this this whole situation works. Well, I mean, it works. As a teacher, I have a lot of questions. I mean, I think, I assume that Mr. Madison gave a lot of money to the school to make this happen. I mean, that's basically stated outright when Billy and Veronica meet. She's like, don't you feel ridiculous that you're doing this because your dad has a lot of money? Right. And he says yes. (laughs) Right. But nonetheless, like, I, I just don't understand the premise. I don't understand how Billy is being evaluated. Like, It seems like he sits in on, say, second grade for two weeks. And then because he didn't fail those two weeks of second grade, they're like, all right, you've passed the course. Well, the crazy thing with second grade is he won the spelling bee and that was passing. And then in kindergarten, it was like he drew a blue duck and that was passing. Right. And then he gets to third grade and he's making fun of a kid for not being able to read that well. And I'm like, well, Billy, I haven't seen you do any reading to get this far in school. He's also not reading well because he has a stutter. But like, yeah, if if I'm in this circumstance, like, frankly, I'm annoyed by like maybe the school's been paid unless I have personally been paid. I'm annoyed by it. And I'm like, Billy Madison, you're writing me an essay. I would not go along with it unless I was monetarily benefiting as well. Yeah, this is ridiculous, and it makes a mockery of the work that I do. I mean, talk about bad teachers in movies. Yeah, like, what? (laughs) Miss Lippy, by far the most baffling of them. She's just bad. She's not, I mean, she's not like a bad teacher in a classic sense. She's just weird. The dodgeball game did seem to be unsupervised. Yeah, she did just send kids out into the playground to play dodgeball so that she could, I guess, dance by herself. Something like, some kind of, like, meditative movement. One thing I did love about this movie is that by high school, it is much more realistic in that the students are trying to learn and mostly focused. Right, yeah, he ceases to be cool as soon as the students begin to care. Because for the most part, as a high schooler, kids paid a lot more attention than movies and TV give them credit for. Yeah. I also like the fact that, like, he does not pass high school. Like, even on the, you only have to do two weeks to a grade, Billy only makes it through eighth grade. So maybe, you know, I said what I would do. I am a high school teacher. So maybe the other high school teachers did behave like I would. I thought it was just the timing. He had, like, a specific amount of time, and then he took a few weeks off to get drunk in sadness. And so the clock ran out, which is why he didn't finish high school. Right, but he gave up in part because it was hard and he was that is also not true. cool. Bringing the cool kid down a peg is always a very funny thing to watch, honestly. Like in 21 Jump Street, where Jonah Hill becomes the cool one because he is nice. Yeah, or I also like the the person who is convinced that they were cool and in fact was not. The, the Dennis Reynolds golden god. The best is still in 30 Rock when Tina Fey finds out she was being bullied because she was cruel. The flashback to her at the telescope whispering to herself and then flashback and she says, I don't know, Kelsey, why don't you ask your mom how her pill addiction is? <laughs> wow. Is there going to be another season of It's Always Sunny? Uh, yes, they actually just posted on social media yet, like yesterday as we record the title of their season 15 premiere. Oh my god. I can't believe how long this show has been running. Well, FX just renewed it for like four seasons. I know. I think it's just really cheap to make, so the profit margins are probably higher on that show than any other. It's really cheap to make, and then like, you've got Rob McElhaney and Charlie Day in your corner if they make anything else interesting. Right. 
All right. Anyway, Billy Madison. Should yeah. we dig into the love story here? So Billy Madison opened on February 10th, 1995. Oh my god, we haven't even gotten to that part. This movie is... wow. Uh, in first place with $6.6 million, just edging out fellow newcomer The Quick and the Dead. Um, I wanted to shout out the fifth place movie. We're now into February. Dumb and Dumber from December 94 is still in fifth place, still on nearly 2,000 screens. Having an incredible run, well over $100 million. And I wanted to mention it because in Roger Ebert's Billy Madison review, he included an apology to Dumb and Dumber. Because he's like, I was too hard on Dumb and Dumber because I had not yet seen Billy Madison. That is hilarious. Oh my god. Dumb and Dumber, I think, is probably worse than this. I haven't I have never seen, seen it, it for real. I've seen clips of it, but I would say it's probably worse than Billy Madison. Well, for what it's worth, Jim Carrey did beat Sandler for the MTV Movie Award for Best Comedic Performance. Why were they nominated in the same MTV Movie Awards? I do not know. Um, in fact, Billy Madison is the only 1995 film nominated in that category. Carrey won for so Dumb and Dumber. Weird. Tim Allen was nominated for The Santa Claus. Tom Arnold was nominated for True Lies, and Jim Carrey was nominated again for The Mask. That run is insane. Jim Carrey's 94, yeah. Jim Carrey's 94. So this movie did okay. It did well enough. I think it was- I mean, was it a huge- It wasn't a runaway hit, No. It It made a profit, but that's partially just because of how cheap it was. It only made like $25 million, but it cost $10 million to make. So it's a profit, but- it's not like a runaway sensation. The legacy of this movie is a home video and a cable one. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously I don't remember when it was released in the box office because I was six months old. But it was such, like, a thing when I was growing up. Why were parents letting kids so young watch this movie? I don't know. I mean, I certainly was not watching this movie in my parents' house, so I cannot speak to that experience. Yeah, I did not watch this movie very i think i'm trying to think i have stated very clearly on this podcast that my first r-rated movie was frost nixon yes mine was hot fuzz because the violence of that is so blatantly just fake that my parents were fine with it it is funny like the extent to which in the 80s into a chunk of the 90s the way that an r rating often meant something different than it does today. Like, today, because of the desire to, like, you know, every movie should make $100 million, every movie should make a billion dollars, at least in terms of, like, studio movies. The sweet spot is, like, PG-13, where, like, it doesn't seem like a kid's movie to teenagers, but basically everyone will be able to go see it. So an R rating is always, like, a choice. Like, if you're choosing to go R, then it's, like, all-out gore and, like... Boobies. Sex and violence and stuff. Whereas, like, I was watching Jumpin' Jack Flash... The other day, which is a, a Whoopi Goldberg comedy from the 80s. And that movie's rated R because she, like, says the F word a couple of times. And, like, in that period, you would get these kind of soft R's where you would watch them and, like, maybe not even realize that it was an R-rated movie. And it was really just because people said F*** more than once or said it in a sexual way. Right. The funniest, super specific rule. It's a weird rule. And then eventually studios were like, well, we're leaving money on the table by having a movie that people have to be carded to get in or like buy a ticket to another movie and then sneak into the theater or whatever. And that thing kind of goes away. Have you ever been carded to see an R-rated movie? I have, but only like when I was like 25. It happened once when I saw The Happening, the M. Night Shyamalan movie where the plants try and kill everyone. So you didn't get in? No, I got in. I was over 17. I was like, wait, maybe not. I think I saw it with my mom, and so they asked to see my ID, and my mom had to tell them, like, 
because parents can bring children right, to so army. Your mom had to say, this is my son. Yes. Having a family trip to The Happening. Oh, yeah, because that was way before I was... When did The Happening come out? What a weird movie. I have not seen it. The only Shyamalan I have seen, weirdly, like, I have not seen The Sixth Sense. I've only seen The Last Airbender, Glass, and Old. What a weird mix of Shyamalan movies. It really is. Uh, The Happening came out in 2008, so I would have been, like, 14 or 15. So I was seeing our movies, but my mom would have had to bring me in. Also, the movie expects you to believe that Mark Wahlberg is a high school science teacher who's having a difficult marriage with his wife, Zoe Deschanel. I have heard about that. <laughs> okay, back to Billy Madison. What more is there to say besides a lot of people probably watched it on VHS in someone's basement? Uh, yes, we did. Good old basement movie. Yeah, let's just talk about the romance. The plot we've kind of covered. He has yeah. to finish school to become president of the company that he does not want to run. Right. His dad has decided that Billy will do a bad job running the company. So he's going to give it to Bradley will. Whitford instead. And Billy doesn't like Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford doesn't like Billy. And like, maybe that's enough. Like, Billy just doesn't want Bradley Whitford to have this thing. But it does seem like he is invested in running the company, despite, I think, never having done anything related to it. And Bradley Whitford will be I'm compelled by Bradley Whitford's argument, like, thousands of people work for you, how long will that last if you put Billy in charge of the company? No, Bradley Whitford is the right choice to take over the company from a business perspective, but Will, he's mean. I would say he is actively a bad man, like, he is blackmailing people. Oh, I mean, at the start of the movie, it's just that he's mean, but he definitely takes a turn. And at the end is an attempted murderer that is still just free on the streets. Well, he he should have taken business ethics. I just can't get over the fact that he was at the graduation ceremony after waving a gun around and attempting to murder more than one person. I could not believe that Billy got to wear PhD robes at his graduation ceremony because I think those robes are cool and I don't get to wear them because I don't want a PhD. I know. One of the only reasons I'd want a PhD is the hat. The little hat. Great hats. Alright, so every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points. Will, would you like to guide us to point one? Alright, we've kind of mentioned Billy's deal. He is this man-child. He's like the ultimate man-child. And he comes up with the idea. He tells his dad, you know what? Like, I'll prove to you that I'm smart, that I'm responsible. I'll go back to school, pass school for real without you paying for it. And that'll show you that I can run the company. And his dad's like, all right, this is a good plan. (laughs) I just don't get it. It is such a bizarre premise. I understand the impulse. Like, I understand the idea behind the premise. Like, wouldn't it be fun to, like, send a man-child actually to school with real children and see how that plays out? It's just weird to imagine the logistics of it in the real world. It just wouldn't work. He wouldn't learn anything or demonstrate. I guess the idea is his plan is to demonstrate that he could have passed rather than he is there to learn everything. Yeah, I guess. Because the thing is, yeah, he doesn't actually really learn much. He learns about the the story of the dog who gets lost. Because he stands by, I think, the idea that he could have passed school without his dad paying, which is objectively false. It's definitely not true. But I think he's doing this to demonstrate rather than to learn. But it still makes zero sense. So point number one is going to be Billy's first day at school. Hi, how you doing? And you going to class today, too? I'll be going to class to teach. How about you? I'll be going to learn. Uh, 
You must be Billy Madison. Yes, I am. Don't you think it's a little pathetic that just because of who your father is, you get to come to school all over again? Yes, I do. As long as you know. He packs his lunchbox. He heads off. He gets off the bus. And he's coming up to school when he meets Veronica Vaughn, played by Bridget Wilson. Who is a third grade teacher. She's very pretty, but she's mean. Well, I here's the thing. Maybe the movie is coding her as mean. I immediately was on her side. Oh, Billy walks up 100%. to her. Oh, 100%. And it's like, oh, are you going to class too? And she's like, yeah, I'm going to class to teach. I have a job. It's a wild situation. And she handles it the most realistically of anyone. She does at first. At first. We're still in point one. That's true. My points do not yet all end in question marks. <laughs> the last three actually end in question marks. Bridget Wilson, by the way, she had been Miss Teen USA in 1990. Uh, she was the representative from Oregon. And then after that, she started getting into acting. She was Schwarzenegger's daughter in The Last Action Hero. She's the female lead of this movie. And she continued to act on TV and in movies until 2008, when she stopped to focus on raising her children with her husband, Pete Sampras. <laughs> what? Yeah, she is now Bridget Wilson Sampras. She I has not acted in 13 years. Did not know that. I googled what happened to Bridget Wilson because I saw she didn't have any credits, and that's what I found out. Oh, wait. According to Wikipedia, she's back at it. Oh, really? Years active, 1990 to 2008, 2020 to present. Oh, the 2020 doesn't count. She's in a Mortal Kombat video game because she was in the 90s Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, so the only thing since 2008 is yes. voiceover for that video game. Okay. I did not scroll down yet. I just saw years active. So, yeah, Veronica, like we said, asks him if he knows that it's pathetic that he's back to school because of who his dad is. He does say yes. She says, well, at least you're aware, and then walks yeah. away. So Billy clearly thinks she's hot. That doesn't stop him also from, like, trying to flirt with, like, hot single moms in the carpool line who naturally lose interest when they find out he is a student. Yeah, this movie expects you to believe that he is much more attractive than he is. Right. I'd have a hard time imagining that Billy is, like, frequently meeting and, like, going out with women. Yeah, because he acts too much like a baby. Right, and he spends all his time getting drunk with his bros by the pool. Like, I don't think Billy actually, like, has been on many dates. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a virgin, honestly. I wondered that, too. Like, I think it's very possible. Sex doesn't really seem to fully exist in this movie. It's a lot of... There's a lot of horniness. It. There's a lot of horniness, but not a lot. It's like barely even implications to sex. It's people want to see each other naked. That's like as right. far as it goes. We are introduced to Billy with him being excited that it's Nudie Magazine Day, the day of the month that dirty magazines are delivered. I, I did enjoy the tagline. There was one for like a magazine of, of naked old women. And the tagline was wrinkled skin, wrinkled sheets. Didn't he get one of men too? No. No. It was oh, There no, were three. Was... One was... One was trans women. Yes. One was old ladies, and one was drunk women. Right. A weird selection. It seems like he subscribes to a service that sends him a random assortment of dirty magazines once a month. You know, Squarespace is there. Subscription boxes are all in, Will. <laughs> it's not a terrible idea. It's like Loot Crate, but you don't know what porn you're getting. I, I would believe that that exists. I don't need to Google it. I would believe that it exists. Yep. And that's where that'll stand. Point two. All right. Billy has gotten through kindergarten, first, and second grade. He's made friends with all the kids. 
And now he has reached third grade, Veronica's class. Class, <clears throat> say hello to Billy Madison. Hello, Billy Madison. Billy is a nuisance. He will be gone in two weeks. I apologize for this inconvenience. And she introduces him appropriately to the class as a nuisance. Says, I'm very sorry. He'll be gone in two weeks. Like, she is correct. Yeah, all he of is that is accurate. there to be a bother. But at least he will not bother them for too long. I love what she was just like, just put up with it for two weeks. <laughs> I got a cool couple thousand dollars out of the school for doing this. I'm only hoping she says that in her head. And then when he bullies the kid for reading really slowly, she pulls him out of the classroom and threatens to fail him if he does not leave the students alone. Which is, again, correct, because the other teachers have not held him to any standard. Like, I can't believe the first grade teacher didn't give him a hard time for cursing during class. Yeah, I assume that they're just basically putting him through for the same reason i know he didn't actually bribe them but i feel like he is just coasting through oh absolutely but he doesn't seem to realize that instead he just throws a carnival every other weekend in honor of his graduation from each grade hey honestly if you can afford it why not don't you get bored of the carnivals by like seventh grade yeah but isn't that just what he does anyway but with more people there that's true so she's mean to him And then he finishes third grade. Well, no, I mean, a lot of stuff happens in third grade because, like, they go on the field trip. Oh, this, yes, that's right. This all happens. And a kid dares him to go and touch Miss Vaughn's boob. And he says he'll only do it if it's a double dare. And then he pretends to stumble. Yeah, there's the weird thing. I don't love this where Billy's first response when he's, like, dared to, like, touch her boob, he says, that's assault. And then when it's a double dare, he's like, well, of course. But Will, I mean, it's a double dare. You can't turn that down. I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be getting from there. Yeah, the fact that he is aware that it is assault, but then does it anyway, is not a good look. Right. I would believe that he didn't know that because he's an idiot who has no exposure to the outside world. It's a problem that he does know it. Yeah. So he stumbles and touches her boobs, and she is weirdly not angry about it. She's basically just like, you're not the first person to touch my boob. And then double dares him to return to her seat. It seems like a thing that would make you more annoyed if you have to keep putting up with it. Also, the other people doing it are probably third graders. Right, they are seven. This is a very different experience. This is an adult man. Which a lot of people seem to forget. Yeah, everyone just treats him like a student, including like the kids who invite him over to hang out. He should not be going over to children's houses to hang out. Because, again, like, he has real friends. Like, where is Norm MacDonald and all that? It's so weird. This movie is so weird. But then on the field trip, he gets on her good side because one of the little nerdy kids pees his pants. And so then Billy goes and gets water on his own pants so he can be like, for adults, peeing on your pants is cool. And then all these children who have seen many adults in their life and have presumably not seen them pee their pants, are like, well, Billy Madison, an adult who is in third grade, must know what's cool. So they're all like, wow, nerdy kid, you're cool too, because you peed your pants. I was very grateful they didn't have a shot of just every other kid peeing their pants. Yeah, I expected us to, like, watch all the kids, like, screwing up their faces and trying. Yeah, I was glad they resisted that temptation. So she's nice to him now, because he did one good deed. Right. But still, like, one day he's over at his nerdy friend's house, and they decide to call up their teacher and ask if she has a crush on anybody in class. A weird thing to do. Yes. 
And she's like, no, I'm not going to date anybody in class. And the kid's like, well, what about Billy? And she's like, no, you, a child, are, are more of an adult than Billy is. Good line. And accurate. Also true, right. She does come to his third grade graduation carnival, where she brings him a lot of pudding cups. Oh my god, this movie. I <sighs> Look, I love a good bit of pudding. But also, I would not give someone else that much, especially not one of my students. I would also not give someone who has that much money anything. He right, yeah, what are they his need? own pudding cups. And then at that carnival, she goes to his, like, weird big tent in the backyard, and she basically propositions him. Yeah. She's like, I'm not your teacher anymore, weird. what do you want? But then Frank shows up. His, his name's Carl. Carl. Yeah. She's, like, going in for the kiss, like, you feel like she's about to take off her clothes, and then Carl interrupts. It's really weird. This movie is not going to get a high score. Right. It's like he did one nice thing for a kid and she's like, I must jump your bones. But then doesn't seem to. Like, we have this moment where it seems like they almost have sex. And then for the rest of the movie, it doesn't feel like they do. It feels like, as I put it, point three, they're friends now? I, get, I don't know what the relationship dating. is. He's in no. middle school. He's not popular anymore. He has a photo of her on his desk that is clearly Bridget Wilson's headshot. I wish I had a photo like that. And, like, he makes out with it periodically when he's studying, but they're clearly not dating. Yeah, they're never, they don't go out or anything. They don't yeah. have a scene of them going to a movie together, getting dinner or anything. They don't even kiss. Like, they, they have two kisses in this movie, or three kisses. There's one in the tent when she's trying to have sex with him. There's one after he wins the decathlon, and there's one at the very end of the movie. It's weird. Yeah, again, it's the idea, like, this movie's very horny, but very little happens. But sex doesn't and it, exist. But it's not, like, it's not, like, a tense horny. It's not, like, in the Twilight movies where, like, they want to, like, jump each other's bones and are constantly saying, like, no, we can't. Yeah, it's not an anticipatory horniness. Right. It is kind of middle school-y. Yes. But, yeah, so they're friends. She's, like talking with him occasionally but he's it's mostly focused on school again he's like periodically just going back to third grade and being like what's up guys it's we it's an adult man should not have third grade friends so billy goes to high school where look throughout the movie the kids are all playing younger than they are like kids playing third graders are probably like in fifth grade all the girls in third grade by the way are in love with billy we didn't mention that the kids in high school are just adults but uh in point four billy quits high school because it's too hard you know what? I got an idea for you. Instead of being an idiot every day, why don't you go back to school, graduate, and get the company? Because I don't want it anymore. Oh. What do you mean you don't want it anymore? Do I got something coming out of my nose? You know what? I can't believe I ever liked someone who could just roll over and die like this. I ain't rolling over and dying. I was set up. And worst of all, nobody believes me. I believe you, Billy. And I believe in you. And because Eric... The mean person gets the principal to lie and say that Billy paid his way to pass on the news. So now everyone knows that this is all a sham. Except Billy didn't pay his way to pass this time. In right. theory. So then Billy gets really sad and falls back into his old ways and gets shit-faced again. He gets totally smashed and he bangs on Veronica's door and he's like, We're gonna go out and do crazy stuff together. Like, burn bags of poop on people's doorsteps. We're gonna go on a date, you and me and my two drunk friends. And then she gives this bizarre speech where she's like, no, you can come inside and we can have a nice night. I know you didn't cheat. And she gives this like whole speech about how like she believes in him. 
I guess the bigger speech is the next morning when she finds him asleep outside, like by the pool. And she pushes him into the pool. They have like a big fight. She in the actively water. assaults him repeatedly. Yes. She punches him in the face. It is very violent. And then she gives this whole speech about like, I believe in you. Like, you think you're a loser, be a winner. And I'm like, why do you believe in this guy? Again, he was nice to a third grader once. It's it's dumb. There is no reason to believe in Billy Madison. But then there's shenanigans with Eric, who okay through the bribery now has a claim on the company. Good. Oh, I, oh, I somehow forgot about it. That's pretty good. Yes, it's not bad. It is an Adam Sandler movie. He has to sing at some point. Sing a weird song, yeah. And then uh, she makes him study. They make this deal where, like, all right, there's not time for him to pass all the classes. So instead, he and Bradley Whitford will face off in an academic decathlon, and the winner will get to head this company. And Bradley Whitford agrees to do this because he's like, yes, I have been to college. I have an actual education. Yes, I will understand what happens. And I did enjoy that it is, like, an even match because it is understandable that Bradley Whitford might be bad at baking pies. Yes. That said, Billy wins, but Billy only wins. Well, no, I guess he wins by two. Because I was going to say, he did cheat on the chemistry demo. Yes. No, he only wins by one. So he did kind of cheat his way in. Well, no, because he's, uh, I thought he was up by one going into the final round. Yes. And then he wins the final round, right? Oh, I guess, yeah, he technically wins. No, because they both lose. Oh, okay. Because so yeah, he wins they, by one and he cheated on chemistry. Also, they didn't even finish that round because of the whole pulling a gun thing. Oh, right. So anyway, uh, Veronica helps him study for the decathlon. I will say, from my own experience, being able to name the dates that different historical events has never led to beautiful women taking off their clothes. But it is a study technique that Veronica uses. It's a study technique I've seen in other movies, too. And I kind of enjoy it. I think it's funny. A way to make it fun. Like, the one thing I vividly remember from that basement viewing of Billy Madison in 2008 was one of the girls in the room during that scene remarking, that's not fair, he's just gonna get worse at it as time goes on. I think the best part is when she put it back on when he gets it wrong. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting study technique because I don't know that it itself is going to help him learn stuff. It's just going to reward him for stuff he has already learned. Yeah, but at least it makes it fun so he's more willing to study. Well, also remember, he's motivated because he wants to run this hotel company for some reason. But also, clearly he doesn't because we will discuss this at his last graduation after the decathlon, which we I guess we've also covered the decathlon. He wins. At the end of the decathlon, Veronica who has also been threatened with a gun, comes up and kisses him, and while they kiss, he grabs her butt. Yeah. With both hands, very, very prominently. And then he gets named head of the company and immediately gives power to Carl. Which, fine. I mean, Carl's a career guy. Like, he he was like an elevator operator or something when he started out. Yeah, and then he worked his way up. He's basically Eric, but nice. Yeah. And then point five is Billy's graduation, where I guess they're together and of course again a graduate of nothing yes he, he did not finish high school he, he won, won the decathlon a made-up decathlon oh and he announces plans to go to college to become a teacher which is a terrible idea and i would like to add to teach what <laughs> well he'll decide in college what is he qualified to teach i would say nothing the boy i guess he has a high school diploma from the first time around i mean no and one he is, and veronica kiss no one is technically qualified to teach after high school you gain the skills in college. Yes. But However. I know, but he is also should not be a teacher. 
For starters, he's gonna, like, hang out with his students outside of school. Oh, completely. He will make friends with his third grade class to an uncomfortable level. And will get fired immediately. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Every once in a while there are rumblings about a Billy Madison sequel, and I don't even want to know what that looks like. I, no. I don't think it'll happen. I think the age of that has passed, especially now with uncut gems. Right, you hope that Sandler is in that zone. Of course, during the Uncut Gems awards campaign, he said, if I don't win an Oscar, I will make the worst movie that you've ever seen. And he made Hubie Halloween, which I did not see, but people kind of liked. Better than Jack and Jill, from what I understand. My favorite Jack and Jill story, a movie I have not seen. Jack and Jill came out during the window where oftentimes on Survivor, as a reward, like one tribe would like get to go see an early screening of a movie that would be coming out around the time the episode aired. And they'd get like movie snacks and stuff like that. Cross promotion. Right. I think it's Survivor South Pacific, which is a great season. They get the movie reward. And I'm always excited when it's the movie reward to be like, all right, what is it? And they got to see Jack and Jill. And it's so funny because the editors clearly can only cut to a couple of people on the tribe. (laughs) Because anytime there's a wider shot, you can see some people sitting there just stone-faced. So there's close-ups of like the two people who are having a great time. I would be so mad if I found out my reward was Jack and Jill. I think the next season it was the Jack Black Gulliver's Travels. Good God. I would purposefully lose the movie once. I guess you're in air conditioning. That's the thing. So you get the reward of like the snacks and the air conditioning, but it's like a a Faustian bargain. (laughs) I mean, if I were actually playing Survivor, I would be like, yes, I will watch any movie. Well, yeah, I can't imagine you going 39 days with no movies. (laughs) Right. Anyway, I do not find the romance of Billy Madison believable. I uh, think it is preposterous. I like Veronica Vaughn best when she hates Billy Madison. Yeah, she is a nutso. She weirdly seems to start being won over when he grabs her boob. Yeah, that I think is the weirdest part too. Like she is nice to him when he grabs her boob. And then it's after that they're on the field trip and like the two of them are having a nice conversation. And he notices the kid who peed his pants, like, standing facing the wall so that people won't see. And he goes over. So, like, it's after the boob grab that she's like, oh, yeah, we can, like, walk as adults and, like, have a nice conversation. It makes zero sense. Every week we rate a movie on a scale from 1 to 10, with 1 being the least and 10 being the most. Where would you rate this movie? Zero! Oh, you're going zero. I got nothing that I believe in this movie, Mark. Like, I guess... I believe that Billy Madison would flirt with somebody's mom and she would not be interested when she found out he was a student. What Have we given other zeros? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. I know I gave a negative, but I didn't know if we'd got zero. Yes, I am a zero. You did give a negative that I increasingly think is too harsh as we do I, more and more movies. I know. Our second episode, I really, I think I jumped the gun on that one. I stand by it partially. Uh, where would you rate Billy Madison? Yeah, it's a zero. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense. Um, do you think that Billy or Veronica Vaughn is dateable? I mean, Veronica, no, because of the choices she makes. Right. First half of the movie, Veronica, is very dateable. Except that, like, I decided years ago I couldn't date teachers because I would leave school and then be talking about two schools. And I was like, no, the point is to not be talking about school anymore. Yeah, I get that. Billy, also hard no. Hard no. Do you think they'd stay together? I mean, I don't know. I don't understand how they're together to begin with. It's a zero romance on believability. This question feels like it is impossible to answer. (laughs) 
It's like, do I think they'll stay together? I don't think they'll be together, but they are. Yeah. No. Now, Mark, if you had to pick one person in Billy Madison to date, who would you choose? I don't know. Carl? Yeah, I wrote down Carl. He's the only option. The fourth grade teacher who just seems good at her job? Yeah. Honestly, any of the teachers that are just in montage because they're shown just being good teachers... Yeah. But I think Carl is the only option. Carl's the clear answer. He's a nice guy. He seems like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, gosh. All right. I think that's about it. I don't know if I can handle any more Billy Madison. This episode is um, way longer excuse than I you, thought it would be. Mark? Oh, God. Do you think no. that Billy Madison should be adapted into a Broadway musical? No. No. Hard no. Um. Do you want to? Do you want to talk about why? I mean, I'm trying to think of words to express how against this I am because it would just be a bunch of children singing songs on stage with an Adam Sandler type and it feels even more uncomfortable to watch live well oh Christ (laughs) I see you googling and I don't like it there have been some rumblings there hasn't been like a big announcement but it does look like plans for a Billy Madison musical are in the works there were some like rumor pieces last spring the kind of thing that would be a prelude to an official announcement that a Billy Madison musical was in the works. So it could be a thing coming down the line. Broadway, gotta be stopped. I mean, people like School of Rock, which has... Yeah, but School of Rock is a good movie. I, I mean, that's the key difference. And also in School of Rock, he doesn't like hang out with the kids outside of class much. Except for, you know, the performances, I guess. But he's not going over and sitting on the couch hanging out with the sixth graders he's teaching no he's hanging out with mike white yeah another survivor connection for us so there we go ah survivor i need to get back into it yes you do new season is starting in a couple of weeks Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. maybe maybe i'll watch it along is it released on hulu next day or do you have to um i guess xfinity i could do xfinity yeah through through xfinity or cbs yeah Anyway, uh, that's Billy Mouse. <laughs> oh, God. It's over. Finally. Next week, we will be dipping our toes back into the Marvel well for the first time since, like, episode eight. I think even earlier. I think it's, like, six. Yeah. And we will be watching Kenneth Branagh's Thor. Oh, boy. The funniest <laughs> way to frame this movie. We'll talk more about that because I'm convinced this is one of his best. <laughs> yes. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. Last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? And oh don't boy. say, touch a woman's boobs. Um... Find creative ways to support your partner, like Veronica helping with Billy's studying. I mean, a musical number doesn't hurt. Sure. So, just sing. All right, well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Yes, I will go back to school and achieve victory. No man will take what my father has built unless that man is me. My Billy, sweet Billy boy, I knew you would go back. No one can stop you if you try. Don't I have a nice rack? Veronica, I thank you for beating the shit out of me.
I see things so clearly now. I choose my destiny. Oh, Billy, I knew you had it in you. <laughs>